Welcome to the Pod 20, the countdown of the top 20 podcasts in the world right now. I'm Graham Mack. I talk to podcasters who've made the chart and I'll be asking them things like, what is an arts marketer? Does your podcast need one? Which country has the best political system out of the USA and the UK? And why don't actors on soaps get the same respect as other screen actors? The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in the UK, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now and at number 20, Tony Bello is angry. He can't take it out in the boxing ring anymore. So he goes toe-to-toe with a guest to find out what makes them angry and how they deal with it. 19. The Jordan B. Peterson Podcast. Enlightening discourse that will change the way you think. 18. Behind the Bastards. The worst humans in history. The latest episode deals with Joe Pine, the man who invented right-wing talk radio. 17. Folk on Foot. Matthew Bannister walks and talks with folk musicians. Owen Ralph is digital producer and arts marketer. What does that all mean? There, there is a, it's a collection of words that I kind of settled on when I needed to find some kind right. of description but, but of what, what I do. But does, what does it mean? Because, um, yeah. Because, yeah, I well, mean, there's a certain amount of marketing involved in digital content production, I suppose, because that's why you're doing it. Yeah, well, I guess the, so the marketing side is, so my, my whole career really has been in, um, marketing and communications for, uh, music venues and, uh, arts organizations and music charities. And, um, you know, so I, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of, uh, you know, doing social media and email marketing and making leaflets and things. So kind of just doing the, like trying to tell people about, what's happening and why they should get involved. Yeah. Um, so so maybe, maybe arts communications might even be a better term. I don't know if it's any less confusing. Okay. Yeah. Um, but but you, 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 you think the, the, um, how to do digital video series to, that helps mm-hmm. musicians to optimize their digital channels. How do musicians do that? Because that's, and particularly during lockdown, that was where it was at and it still is where it's at because, um, live has still not got back to where it was. How do musicians optimize their digital channels? Yeah, well, it's a it's a tricky one. So that that series was um, commissioned by English Folk Expo as a part of their uh, folk talk program, where they um, so they basically got a, a lot of uh, people in the in the folk music industry to create videos about kind of their areas of expertise, um, just to try and help musicians to develop their skills during that time when they when they couldn't be out and about performing and is it things like youtube live does that is that count as part of it yeah i mean it's it's i think for the big thing i'm always telling people at the moment is it's about balancing what you have time to do and what you think is going to like help you specifically achieve your goals as a musician yeah um because you know you could go crazy and do like have your tiktoks and your instagram and twitter and spend hours and hours never ends yeah Exactly. And, and then you have no time to actually do your music. Um, and you know, I, I, like, as someone who, who does that kind of thing day to day as my, as my job, I, I find it keeps me busy enough. And then when there's someone who's actually trying to make a living from their music on top of it, I think it's, it would just be so much work. So it's, it's, it's about really trying to work out what you're trying to do, which tools are kind of the best suited to helping you do that. And then trying to fit it into what you're doing already. So if you, you know, if you're already enjoy kind of 
recording yourself playing music at home or whatever, use that, put it out on your channels, use it to promote yourself. Um, yeah, so it's, it's all that kind of thing. And just trying, trying to get yourself out there as best you can without letting the marketing take over your life. Yeah, yeah. There's a lady in America, I don't know whether you'd describe it as folk music or not, and I, I'll probably say a name wrong. I think her name is Lana Del Cid or else something like that. Anyway, and she just does one song on a Sunday afternoon in California that they put online every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that's all she does. But it's massive on YouTube. But she's managed to hone it down to that one thing. But she does it every week on a Sunday. Uh, I think she might do it on a Sunday morning. And then it... Uh, by the time it's edited up and all the sounds mixed and everything, but yeah, I see. Yeah, it'd be hard to know. <laughs> well, you've just got to know what your your thing is and and how to exploit it best, I suppose. Yeah, and those those kind of regular things, um, like that way you say, like, okay, every Sunday I'm going to stream a song. Yeah, yeah. even just something like that is really useful because then then you don't have to plan. Yeah, folk on foot, number seventeen this week on the pod twenty. Sixteen. Feel Better, Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Episode 208 is called Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To with Professor David Sinclair. 15. Have a Word with Adam Rowe and Dan Nightingale. The funniest podcast in the game, according to them. 14. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. Jay's latest guest is Ben Greenfield, talking about how to train your brain and mind for optimal sleep and performance. 13. Monday Morning Podcast. Bill Burr rants about over-celebrating, Mario Batali, and Office Mutiny. 12. Soap from the Box. TV director Lee Salisbury talks to stars of soaps and beyond. Lee, actors in soap operas don't seem to get the same respect that other screen actors get. Why is that? I don't know why, because every actor, I spoke to Alan Cumming for my radio show, amazing, obviously, and he was in Take the High Road, and champion that. Because everyone says, if you can do a soap, you can do anything. Working that hard. You know, soap actors, say if you're at the big storyline, you'll be filming, what, 10 episodes at once, you'll be going from A to B to day two to day 10 to whatever, Emotional journey here. You know, you have to plan your thing. You you film for 12 hours, go and learn 16 scenes. You know, it's incredible what they do. So I think if you can do soap, it builds you for, and obviously people have gone on to huge things. So Margot Robbie from Neighbours, you've got here, Jenna Coleman was in Emmerdale, who's now gone on to huge things. But, you know, the level of fame or, you know, what I think actors want to work to do brilliant jobs rather than all the actors I know who are great actors aren't there really for the money. They want to survive, but they just want good roles. And yeah. so I always say to younger actors, don't leave because you're getting to do a wealth of material, you know, over, you can murder someone, you can then be loved, you know, as in it can give you so much to do. And I always say the best actors in Soka are the June Browns who care about the characters so much, you know, they know what tea sets, she knows what tea set to use for a certain person, you know. <laughs> so I think, you know, I, I always think, I say this on the podcast, I just worry Soap's lost its matriarchs and patriarchs and they need to build the new people to be. The Ritas, the Kens, the Deirdres, the, yeah. and actors yeah. want to move on so quickly. So, and you know, and the, the whole thing with box sets, you know, people love on demand now and soaps are on. So the soaps are trying that out. So I think soaps just need to adapt to the new way we watch drama. Yeah. But then if people watch a whole week and, you know, work, because it doesn't get the ratings as much anymore, of course, but on iPlayer and stuff, it's huge. So I think it's an interesting journey for soap. But look, these soaps are huge after 60 years, Coronation Street. What other 
you know, line of duty is massive, but 60 years, you know, that wouldn't last 60 years. So it's all hail. So see, I'm a massive, I don't work for them anymore because I did 10 years and it was kind of like, well, I've done enough, you know, because I could have been there forever, which would have been great, but I love doing new stuff. But, you know, I, I think, you know, they will be hopefully here forever. So hopefully so for the box will be going forever. And what's going to happen with podcasts? Because they've got so big now, you know, since I started mine, we're now lower down because obviously everyone and their auntie's doing one, you know, yeah. so it's yeah. incredible really how media has changed. But exciting, it's exciting. It's exciting to be involved in something that's, ever changing I think. And, and big names too in podcasting you know we, you know, oh, we have now. alan alder i've had on this show talking about his podcast um i haven't had him on yet but uh, alec baldwin does a nice podcast as well called here's the thing some yeah, huge yeah. names getting involved huge. in podcasting. Well, Alan's coming huge and he's yeah. that's why i had him on so yeah. i mean i think for them it is a way of making money i think some of them are but like fern has built a brand. It's building a brand. She's brilliant. Sophie Ellis-Bexter I had on because it was her podcast that kind of made me want to do one. I loved her chilledness and the fact that it was, she was talking to celebrities, but it was very, you know, that's how I'm not a journalist interviewing them. I'm a friend. And that's what still comes across with people. Now what I've learned is I can do that with people I don't know. I instantly click into this cheeky kind of person who knows what they're talking about though. You know, I did my research. We were young. We had a great time. I had him for longer than I was supposed to. And Again, I just love doing that. I love finding out for me. I love finding out what I would want to know, which I think is what the audience want to know. And when I make TV, if I l cry or if I laugh, then for me, that's a good take because I do think of myself as the audience, you know. So sometimes that's the notes I give. It's just like, we didn't quite do that. So for the podcast, I, I think I ask the questions that everyone kind of wants to know, but not in a, you know, not in a salacious way, but just because I think there's, you know, journalists go for the one thing, don't they, with Daniela Westman, it's always the one thing, but there's so much more to her than that. Yeah. Who knew she was in a Queen video when she was is like she, Which one's she in? I can't remember the name of it. And but she's, she's also in one Whitney, of the... and she's been in a Whitney video. And they're the things that I'm like astounded by. I'm like, these are the things I want people to know, you know. Yeah. This is the real Daniela. She's done loads of stuff, you know, incredible. So, yeah. So I'm out there to get this stuff. That I mean, and sometimes, you know, Leslie Dunlop, I was sat there going, oh, my God, this is as if you've not been name dropping this, Leslie. So, yeah, so incredible. I'm, I'm loving it. It's brilliant. And it's, it's weird being interviewed by you because it is very odd. I'm like, how bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Soap from the Box is at number 12 this week on the pod 20. At number 11, Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. 10. Today in Focus, the podcast that brings you closer to Guardian journalism. Number 9. Hidden Brain. Shankar Vedantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behaviour. 8. Sips, Suds and Smokes. Everything good in life is worth discussing. Wine, tea, coffee, whiskey, beer, cigars, barbecue, people whose first name starts with a Q, ex-Amish, the state of Alabama, roadkill, and Canadians. 7. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. After 25 years at the late night desk, Conan has never made a real, lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests. So he started a podcast to fix that. Conan's latest guest is Jake Gyllenhaal. 6. The Hardy Report, with Edward Hardy. Ed, you cover British and American politics. Both countries have slightly different political systems. 
Which country has the best? I have to, to be honest, it, it's going to sound like I'm being biased uh, about uh, sort of the UK side of things. I think we do. I think there but are we don't have democracy, do we? Because we don't have an elected upper house. Well, I think there are flaws, which is what I was going to say. I think there there is problems. It's a pretty with, big flaw. Is that yeah, there <laughs> to are not problems. have elected people running the country? Uh, well, this is the thing. The House of Lords obviously needs to be drastic reforms. I don't actually think that uh, an elected second chamber is necessarily the, the right way forward. I, I can be potentially swung one way or the other on this, but I, I would say that I don't think, given how that often leads to gridlock in America, that's the right way. What I would say is that a second chamber should be, uh, or was established to be, a chamber that would examine, look into the legislation, and make sure basically it was the correct thing based on evidence, worked in the best interest. And I think that's what a second chamber should do, mm. is it should be there. It should be an, a chamber full of experts, people who might be scientists or economists or professors or so on, rather than just people who are donors. I don't think that's a smart system. I don't think most people in Britain agree that's a smart system, that, that it's donors. But I think if it was full of experts, people who actually knew about the laws that were being passed, I think it would be a, a really useful second chamber. But, but yeah, we don't, it, we it don't, we don't have that. I mean, I've lived in three different countries with slightly different systems. I lived in New Zealand for seven years and they don't even have an upper house. <laughs> they just don't have one. They have the beehive, which is where decisions are made. And that's it. That's one system. And I also lived in Australia for six and a half years, and they have an elected upper house. And they had uh, they had an interesting thing, because they've got a two-party system, Labour and Liberal, but Liberal are conservative, which is confusing, but that's how it is. But they have a third party, and I forget what they I think they were called the Democrats. I get them mixed up. There was one called the, so, the uh, Social Credit, which was, I think that was a New Zealand. I think they were called the Democrats. And they realized they couldn't take the House of Representatives in the election because of the system they have. But they realized they had a good chance of getting the upper house. So they ran a campaign just to take the upper house. And their slogan was, and I'm not making this up, it's very Australian, their slogan was, we'll keep the bastards honest. <laughs> I just think that, I mean, Australian politics is fascinating as well. But getting back to my point, you say that you think that the British system is better. Why is the British system better then? I think the British system is more democratic than with the, no elected upper house. Well, that that in itself, I think, can be. <laughs> if, you take, if you if you look at the way that that the U.S. system works, it's yeah. so partisan and gerrymandered, and the way that they decide their district. And for anyone who doesn't understand that, it, it, it is it's the it's the way that they change the electoral borders. But we do that here too. Well, we do, but it has to go through processes and independent uh, panels and looking at the, the conservatives couldn't just show up and go, we're now going to change all of these parliamentary constituencies to make sure that we always win a majority. Whereas what you end up with in America is there are these absurd, absurd districts. I mean, I think um, one of them is held by a Republican called Dan Crenshaw, and I, I recommend people go and look up his district. And it's just bizarrely shaped because it's been deliberately gerrymandered to only essentially contain like the the way it goes up these republican voting cities and towns and locations and having a system like that is so blatantly flawed because as anyone could have predicted 
if you, the governing party, can decide what the voting areas look like, what are you going to do? You're going to skew them in your favour so that you retain power, and that's what they do. So that that bit is is flawed. Whereas over here, we also have a greater control on the way that our parliament and our parties shape up. So even if, for example, you're in a seat like uh, I once lived in, uh, one of the staunchest, strongest Labour seats in, in the country, and there was no way that anyone other than the Labour candidate was going to win that election. You you could have literally put a, a cat in a red bow as their candidate, and it would this, have won. This, of course, was pre-Brexit. This, yes, uh, and but they could have won that seat uh, pretty solidly without any effort, without any campaigning. Sure enough, we never heard from the candidate right. because they didn't have to. And so, okay, you have those seats that exist and, and there's a slight problem. But when you get involved in the process, you can start to work on how you shape that party. You can potentially go to how that candidate, you know, who that candidate should be. It might be, you know, a Labour or Conservative seat and a Labour or Conservative victory, but you can work on that candidate. You can work on that party leader. You can uh, help to address that. Whereas in America, you end up with your party leader through uh, essentially the same sorts of politically fixed events that happen. You look at Donald Trump, for example, the way that he managed to to win that is he basically just took over the, the Republican Party. No one had a chance at beating him. Whereas over here, you can easily uh, address sort of your party makeup a lot, a lot better. And also we have the power of recall. That's something Americans don't have. We have the power of recall. So if you have a a member of parliament who commits an egregious scandal. Um, and I know there are only a few criteria for what can be be recalled, but you can recall them as well. So we do have better systems. I'm not saying ours is a perfect system. I don't think ours is a perfect system. I think most uh, democracies can be improved and altered. But I, I, I do think we are better than, than what America's is uh, certainly right now we're better than what america's situation is i, I don't know who's got the, the perfect system and obviously i don't know enough about both systems but you know just looking at it the house of lords is one that does bother me and particularly things like hereditary peers i mean that makes gerrymandering look like a, a non-event if you can be born into, into <laughs> ruling uh, but I do like the way that the, the primaries or how I understand the primaries work is that they have to go to each one of these small constitu constituencies. And if you live in America, you do have a chance of meeting the future president. Whereas I don't know, because of the old Etonian thing that we have going here, whether you, you have a chance before any election of actually, in the run-up to it, of actually meeting the, the future prime minister. Although in America you do have uh, the the issue when it comes to say um, the the primary system, it's often uh, whoever has the most money and and the most sort of financial backing that wins in American elections. And also when it comes to the president, they have the electoral college problem that exists, where yeah. the election is less about every state in America and, and more about a handful of states that the president needs to swing each each election. So there are there are sort of pros and cons of both systems. Uh, uh, my view, though, is that a system that can be so easily and quickly gridlocked is just, it, it, it's inherently flawed. And it might have started out like a great idea. I think there are people that 
that would advocate for elected chambers for, for both sides. But I think that that requires you to have other elements of a strong democracy of people that genuinely want to work together and are um, purely putting party above country. They're putting their country first. And I think, unfortunately, America is now in a situation where there is a, a large chunk of politicians uh, that, that hold office out there who genuinely are there for their own self-interest and, and putting their own careers first, uh, you know, you look at some of the Republican senators, for example, the moment uh, Donald Trump lost that election, their thought was not, how can we work for the next four years to improve this country? Their thought was, how can I win the presidency in four years? And, and I think that having that sort of system again, it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I think where ours works a lot better is with the budget. Our budget comes through the chancellor announces the budget, and that's it. Uh, in America, it can really grind to a halt over well, the budget. Take, it can take years to get. <laughs> it can literally be an entire president's term. Mess. It's a mess. That is terrible. Also, one perk of our system that that really goes unacknowledged is how easy it is also for us to replace, uh, or you know, or you know, remove a prime minister. Because if that is a situation where you only need a majority of the House um, to get rid of, uh, you know, the House of Commons, you need a majority of, of the House of Commons to remove them. Whereas in America, you have this, as we've just seen, a, an impeachment trial is the only way to remove them. And it's so impossibly hard to remove a president that it's basically, you know, it's null and void the process. There's no point trying there once they're elected unless they commit the most egregious crime, they will never be removed. They might be voted out in, in four years, but they'll never be removed. Whereas over here, if you get a, a significant scandal with a, a prime minister, it's quite easy to get enough members of their own party to join with the rest of the House of Commons to, to remove them. So I think that is a is a big benefit, that you don't have this centralised power in one figure that's essentially immovable, it really is a, a parliamentary system that requires uh, the House of Commons to be working as an effective cog um, in the wider machine. I think that's quite a good element of, of how our democracy functions. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's got it right yet. Anyway, the Hardy Report with Edward Hardy is at number six this week on the Pod 20. Into the top five now, and at five, Smartless. Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett connect and unite people from all walks of life to learn about shared experiences through thoughtful dialogue and organic hilarity. Number four, The Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett. A few years ago, he was a broke university dropout, living in one of the worst parts of the country, alone, with nothing but a laptop and a dream. Fast forward a few years and he's the 29-year-old ex-CEO of one of the UK's fastest growing companies. This is the podcast that gives you a look at what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Number three, Bad Women, The Ripper Retold. It's a cold case like no other. In the autumn of 1888, five women were brutally murdered in the slums of Whitechapel. The attacks were so violent that the killer earned the nickname Jack the Ripper. 
But everything you think about Jack and those murdered women is wrong. This podcast uncovers new facts about the five victims, revealing the appalling treatment they faced as women in the 1880s, and completely overturns the accepted Ripper story. Number two, stuff you should know. If you've ever wanted to know about Champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then look no further. Josh and Chuck have you covered. And at number one, back at the top, Crime Junkie. Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. And I'm Britt. And the story I have for you today is about a woman who spent six years in a relationship that got increasingly more violent, with a man feared by pretty much everyone in their small community. But her path to freedom is anything but a straight line. This is the story of Billy Stafford and Jane Hirschman. It's March 12, 1982, and a man named Carl Croft is on his way to work in Liverpool, Nova Scotia, which is this tiny town on Canada's east coast, walking along the country road when he sees a truck pulled over on the shoulder. At first, he thinks it probably belongs to one of his neighbors. The long dirt driveway gets so muddy in the spring that people really can't even use them, so sometimes they'll just park on the main road and walk home. But The thing is, Carl doesn't recognize this specific car. What he does recognize immediately, though, is something on the door. Blood. His first thought is someone must have gotten into an accident. But there's no real telltale signs of an accident. There's no tire marks. There's no damage. Carl glances in the window as he walks past and realizes There's someone inside, slumped way over to the left, with his head almost laying in the driver's seat. Like he's, like, taking a nap? Carl doesn't think so. Not to mention, the man isn't moving an inch. So that, along with the blood, sends him racing to the nearest neighbor's place to see if there's anyone who can help. And together, they drive back down the main road to check things out. And they don't call 911 first. Well, no, and I'm not entirely sure why, to be honest, but my gut is thinking like, again, they're trying not to overreact. This could just be like a guy napping. It it doesn't feel necessarily like an emergency yet. Yeah, and maybe they just want to get a good look around before the cops come. Yeah, there's maybe a little bit of small town morbid curiosity too, because they really want to know who this person is. But even when he brings this neighbor, that guy doesn't recognize the truck either or the person inside. But when he peers through the window, there is no doubt in his mind that this man is dead. And to him, it doesn't look like an accident. His first thought is suicide. They drive back up to the house to call police, and first responders arrive at the scene around 7.30. According to the book Life with Billy by Brian Vallee, they find the victim, a man, sitting in the cab of the pickup. When they finally move his body, they realize he's been killed by a shotgun blast to the head, one fired from close enough to virtually decapitate him. Yeah. Crime Junkie, number one on the Pod 20 this week. And that's it for episode 76. Thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Owen Ralph, Lee Salisbury, and Edward Hardy. Don't forget you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. 
and what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week. Will Crime Junkies stay at number one? Will your favourite podcast make it to the top of the chart? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and my special guest, Anthony Davis, from the podcast Five Minute News, next week on the Pod 20. And in the meantime, don't forget to make your recommendation and influence the chart at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.